15, verses 1 to 8. So that's page 1083. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would meet with us, that you would minister to us. We recognize our lives are in need of you, our hearts, our minds, our souls, our bodies. And as we draw near to you, as we think through some of what's in your word, I pray, Lord, as we draw near to you, that you would meet with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'd just like to start by asking you a question. Is there anybody here this morning who loves gardening? Okay, if you would like you to chat to somebody near to you and try and explain something that you think is great about gardening. Just take a minute. at the risk of interrupting some of you who um, clearly have strong feelings and strong opinions about gardening. Um, I actually need a little bit of help this morning. 
So any of you who are in a conversation with somebody who is very excited about the virtues of gardening, or you are that person yourself, could you just shout out something that you think is great about gardening? Say again? Chopping about the roses, yeah. Putting your hands in the earth and putting out potatoes, yeah. <laughs> Lovely to watch someone else doing it. Rather, anything else? Yeah. Okay, taking something that looks shriveled and seeing it come to life later. Last one. Anybody else want to kind of have persuade me? You're closer to God in the garden than anywhere else in the world. Well, I have a confession to make this morning. I've been quoting the pastor saying, and I've not yet been persuaded otherwise, that I really, really dislike gardening. In fact, I remember saying to my parents uh, in my student years and my teenage years, I, uh, I thought basically gardening was pointless. <laughs> Couldn't see the point of it. And frankly, it's the reserve that the point in which I showed any interest in gardening would be the point at which I needed to retire. <laughs> I've had some repenting to do in my life. And I may come to that a little bit later. This passage is something that I don't in many ways feel that qualified to do. But when Joe and I got married <clears throat> a number of years ago, um, one of the presents that was given to us, my parents gave us a plum tree to, pl to plant in our garden. And uh, I didn't know a lot about plants, as you can probably guess from what I've just said, so I persuaded my dad to come to our house and to come and plant it. So dad came along to our home, into the back garden, he brought with him the tree, he brought the fertilizer, he brought a digging thing, uh, he brought um, some other stuff, and he found the right place, he said, this is a good place for it, he dug a hole, he put lots of stuff in the ground, he put it back in, and watered it, and then he basically gave me some advice about how to maintain it, and also gave me a book. He said, if you're not sure, you can always phone me, but also here's a book, a manual about how to look after and plant, look after trees. Well, I was um, not that excited about the gift, to be honest, but, but actually it was great. It came from my parents and was given out of love, even if I couldn't understand it. For five years, that tree did nothing, pretty much. I thought that as I got the tree that I would produce plums, but for five years, nothing. It did grow, but there was no blossom, there was no fruit. Actually, to me, it was all a bit disappointing. Next year, after about five years, finally in the spring, some blossom, just a few bits of blossom appeared on the tree. And I started to get mildly interested, and then there was a hard frost, and clearly nothing appeared. Over the next few years, though, gradually, each spring used to come, and gradually more and more a blossom appeared on the tree. It got more and more full, and finally some plums arrived. I would go to Joe and say, 
Joe, look. I was very excited the first time. So I appeared and I said, aren't these amazing? They're our own homegrown plums. Don't they taste amazing? They're homegrown. Joe smiled, humoured me, and went, still went to Tesco's to buy the normal ones. Um, but basically, gradually, over a period of time, it increased its productivity, and to, to which one summer, um, early summer, the tree was laden. I was very excited. Finally, I'd reached, got to a point where I was very excited about it, and it's absolutely laden. And I visioned all the different things I was going to do with it, but wasn't sure what it'd be. Then one evening, a very large storm came. And when I got up in the morning, I found that the tree that I had high hopes for was literally split in two, flat on the ground. The weight of the tree and the wind had led it to literally split, so it's literally on the floor. You see, in all the time I had that tree, I may have pruned it once, may have. And that is a may have. I failed in the basic maintenance of the tree, to which it became spindly, it grew, but actually when it did produce a seasonal crop, it couldn't sustain, the tree couldn't sustain the fruit that actually it was bearing. It became spindly, it became weak, it became ragged. No pruning, no cleaning, leading to eventual breakdown and collapse. Today, we're reading a passage that's really important to me and has been important to me for quite a number of years. In this series, we're looking at passages that are actually really important to different people, different preachers, where God's Word has come alive to speak to them in different ways. We're in John's Gospel, which many of you will know. This will be a passage that some of you will have heard before. And what you'll realize is, earlier in the account of John's Gospel, Jesus has been revealing himself to people who didn't know him as the unique saviour of the world. The unchangeable saviour, Jesus, the I Am, has come into this world. He's resurrection, he's life, he's the door, he's the way, he's truth, he's life. Jesus, the life-giver, inviting people to come to him to find life if you believe and trust in him. Now, at this point where we read this passage, Jesus is towards the end of his earthly wife, and he's actually speaking to the disciples. He's not speaking to a wider audience, per se. And as they come to him, he says this. He says that basically, you need to remain to rest and to abide in me. His charge to his, to his disciples is to rest, remain, and abide in me. Jesus says in this last I am saying, I am the true vine. As Jesus leaves the upper room, he, he goes with the disciples, maybe he's inspired by the pictures on the temple walls or the, the tree, the, the trees outside the temple. Israel is a place of vineyards where you'd find that everywhere you went and he'd know that. However, more than the physical backdrop that Jesus may have been inspired to say, I am the true vine, is also the backdrop through Scripture we find in the Old Testament. 
For example, in Psalm 80, says this. It says that Israel as a vine, and a symbol of Israel was the vine, had been transplanted. And the prayer in Psalm 80 is that God would visit his own vine, his people. God would visit his people again. We see in the prophets in the Old Testament that God's people are compared to a vineyard. But God's charge to his people as a vineyard is that they become unfaithful to God. They've become disobedient to God. And for example, in Isaiah 5, 7, instead of grapes, wild grapes are produced. Instead of righteousness, we find the outcry of, for bloodshed. And similarly in Ezekiel 15, there's a great bit where Israel is denounced as a useless vine, fit only for firewood. What Jesus is doing is that the very purpose of Israel, the very thing God had called Israel to do, to go to bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth, they'd failed. And so Jesus came and said, I am the true vine, and my disciples are the branches. Now when we read this passage uh, today in the West, we're very kind of consumed by how church is doing. Are we up? Are we down? Are we thriving? Are we not thriving? Are we, are we struggling against prevailing humanist culture? Actually, the question of fruitfulness for us as a church today in Bath is as relevant as it's ever been. And in these passages, Jesus shows us how he's calling us to be fruitful. And if you're uh, interested in being fruitful in your life, then the four things I just briefly want to touch on that we find in this passage. And if you have the passage open in front of you, uh, you might find it helpful too. So firstly, the Father tends the vine. Jesus is the true vine. God the Father is compared to the person who dresses the vine, who looks after the vine, who cares for the vine. And it's the Father who tends to the vines. And this is incredibly important. Why is it important? Because Jesus' life wasn't a life of self-expression, of self-fulfillment, of self-discovery. Jesus' life was of loving obedience to his Father. And he trusted his Father to care for him, to look after him, and to tend to him. So what is the Father doing? Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he casts off. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it'll become more fruitful. Pruning, for those who know gardening, I know as much as this. Pruning, for those who do gardening, is not automatic. Pruning does just not happen. It requires effort. It requires intervention. It requires doing something left to its own plans or its own devices. It would continue to grow. It continued to, to spread out. It would lose its strength, its endurance, its ability to stay healthy and would not be able to bear the fruit it was intended to bear. A bit like my tree. And the verse then refers to the cleansing, purging effect of Christ and his word in making and seeing our lives transformed. It's God the Father who tenderly goes about our lives, pruning and tending to our lives, if we will let him, if we will allow him to go to work in our lives. Because God, this morning, longs for us to be fruitful. 
for him. It's not about my fruitfulness, although I am one of people here today. He longs for each of us to be fruitful. You cannot read this without thinking, this passage, without thinking about Judas. See, Judas, it's at the point where Judas is about to betray Jesus. And when you look at the life of Judas, he'd he'd spent his time walking with Jesus. He'd been with Jesus. He'd seen Jesus do all these things, yet Judas, Judas was outside of Christ. But the vine dresser does two things. In the winter, he cuts out the dry and withered branches. And in the spring, he moves the unuseful and unuseless grace from the branches to make the vine fruitful. I don't know many of you whether you'd say being pruned by God is something you would like. The times in your life when you looked, when you knew God was getting to grips with parts of your life that needed sorting, that you needed God to start to go work with a heart that had become hard, or you wanted to walk away from God in the opposite direction as Sue looked with Jonah last week. God wants us to bring us back to himself to purify us, to shape us, to mould us, so that we bear fruit for him. So when Jesus is saying, we are branches and here's the vine, that kind of picture of us being the branches and he's the vine, what is he saying? Well, I've said this before, but it's worth reiterating, is what is the purpose of the gospel? What is the good news that we carry? What makes the good news good? What's behind it all in this? passage we see that disciples are called to live for God's glory. The Westminster Catechism, what is it? It says that mankind's chief purpose and end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mankind's purpose and end is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. Is that the shape? Is that the direction? Is that the purpose? Is that the intent of your life? Is that what the gospel in your life is about? We were created for God's glory. But most of us can testify to the fact, although that we may know that in our heads, that we're here to live for God's glory, we recognize it's a struggle. That with our tendency, like we see in Romans 1, for example, is that instead of glorifying God, we turn our our eyes away from God, and we turn it to creation, we turn it to creatures and we start worshipping them rather than worshipping the creator who those things point us towards. We're called to worship the creator, not the creation. It's the creator who made the creation. I wonder this morning, if you're honest, where is the glory going to in your life? How much of your life would you say goes to glory? Is it to demonstrate your own abilities, your own achievements, your own gifts, or your own success? Or if deep down, when you're actually honest with yourself, you recognize, a little bit like me at times, that you're really more intent on trying to prove yourself as a good parent, as a good father or mother, as somebody who's fantastic at the work to earn everybody else's praise, everybody else's glory, rather than God's glory of its own. 
couple of weeks ago, someone sent me, or a while ago, somebody sent me an email about God's glory, and they, they said this, they were talking about our culture that we live in today. And they said this, there are a few things that threaten our ability to live and lead in humility, like a spirit of entitlement. In our culture today, it's very easy to get caught up inside what's been called the empire of entitlement. See, inside this empire, we start to think like this. We think that life should revolve around me. Relationships are all about meeting my needs. Fruitful ministry is the result of my effort. The things I have are because of my hard work. Luxuries become my necessities. That isn't a life. Live for God's glory. So how are we to glorify God the Father? In John, in verse 8, you'll see, we find the answer is that we bear much fruit. Branches that bear much fruit bring glory to God. A vine, its essential purpose is fruit-bearing. It's what's called a utilitarian plant. Its overwhelming purpose is to bear fruit. That's what it's there for. And I can't be a fruit-bearer for God if I don't have God's life in my soul. That's the whole point of the analogy. The branch is where the fruit is born. It's not in the, the kind of trunk, but the branch is the place that bears fruit. It's what we're called to. We're called to fruitfulness. See, I know uh, in the few places I was taken as a child by my parents who did like gardening, um, when you go to a beautiful garden, when someone takes you there and you stand admiring it, the colours, the variety, the, the, the different planting, the different textures, all those different things, and look at it and see the planting scheme. What do you think? I wonder what you think when you've been to a beautiful garden. You realise this beautiful garden doesn't happen by itself. Someone has to be tending the garden. You praise the gardener. You spend time praising the garden, otherwise it would just be an untidy mess. But in the hands of a gardener, in a skillful gardener, that garden can look stunning. Preparing the ground, planting, watering, pruning, suddenly something glorious becomes possible. And I wonder what that would be like for you this week if God got his hands on your life in that way in the way you're called to care for people this week, in the way you parent this week, in the way you study this week, in the way you do leisure this week, in the way you work this week, in the way you encourage one another this week. How has God uniquely made you to, to live for his glory this week that recognizes his work in your life, not just your own gifts and abilities? When driving... Uh, through the vineyards of Western Michigan uh, um, early one spring, a woman uh, was shocked when she went through the particular season in Michigan uh, to see how drastically uh, the workers were pruning the grapevines um, in Michigan. And actually the plants themselves in the season of pruning looked, so she actually described it, they looked like bleeding stumps. And when she went to ask the vineyard workers, and they, she said, well, why, why do you cut the vines back so severely? And one vineyard owner uh, made the reason very clear. He said, well, you have to choose. 
You can choose between beautiful, leafy plants or plump, juicy grapes. It's not either or. It is either or. Each of us is uniquely made. Each of us is uniquely called. Each of us is uniquely um, shaped by God to bear fruit. The question is, are you allowing God to shape, to prune, to direct your life to be fruitful? So how can we bear fruit? We've probably heard the quote before. It's a kind of uh, quote if you worked in the world very much. It's, you know, basically the go-get culture. You know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. It's the ultimate saying that feeds the go-getting culture that I've got to just, you know, really go after everything, otherwise I'll miss out. I won't get the life that I'm entitled to. And we just become crazy in overwork, in trying to achieve, in trying to get success. And our lives become consumed by stress and anxiety. Yet it's worth reflecting on the creation narrative in Genesis. I've been, been asked a new wine, been asked to think about this a little bit this week as well. Which on the first full day of existence for Adam and Eve, on the first full day of existence, Adam and Eve rested. All of creation took a break in activity. That was the first full day. The first full day was rest. It wasn't work. The first full day was rest. Then work began. And the implication from this and other passages, and this particular passage is this, is that we, rest, we work from rest rather than rest from work. As Christians, we're called to work from rest rather than rest from work. Ten times in these verses, in these eight verses, ten times in these eight verses, we are told to remain, to abide, to rest in Christ. As a branch is a part of the vine, so are we to rest in Christ. The tree can't produce fruit by itself and needs to rest in the vine. However hard we try, however hard we grit our teeth and say, I am going to be fruitful for God. I really want to do great things for God. Well, that might be great, but unless you're prepared to lay yourself down and to rest in God, then that will become something you're constantly restless with. Think for a minute, where the branch, where does the branch begin and where does the trunk end on a plant? It's impossible to distinguish between the trunk and the branch at the join, where one stops and the other begins. They're one entity, naturally joined so that the plant and the life is in both. That's how it is between Christians and Jesus. Our fruitfulness is because his life coursing through us his life flowing in and through us how does this happen by spending time with him by being with him by worshiping him by spending time his word by praying by serving him by using your gifts to bless others by fellowshipping by being with him there's no substitute than spending time in some form with him in resting in him you may wonder, well, what's the, um, what's the answer to a lifetime of fruitfulness? It's not just about, we can all be in different seasons. And I found, I'm just going to show you in a minute, something that I found quite helpful. But in Hampton Court near London, um, in, has anybody been to Hampton Court? Okay. Um, it's a 
slide working, Rebecca, uh, on it. Basically, there's a grapevine under glass. Um, and it's a grape, it's a vine that's 240 years old. And it only has one root, uh, which is at least two feet thick. It's actually a root that's two feet thick. And some of the branches on this vine are 200 feet long. And because of the skillful and careful cutting and pruning, this particular vine that's over 240 years old still produces tons and tons of grapes. Even so, the branches are 200 feet away from the actual, the root, actually it's still fruitful 240 years on from being planted. Why? Because the life of the vine continues to flow through the branches. The whole passage shows a rhythm to life that someone's put together as part of helping us in terms of understanding what it means to rest in Christ. Each of us will go through seasons in seeing fruitfulness. We're not always in a season of, of reaping. But there is a kind of pendulum effect in being fruitful, of resting, of pruning, of growing, and of being fruitful. And there's a sense in which we are to be fruitful. We will go through those different seasons where we can spend all our time with God, but you're also called to do stuff. You actually need to be productive. We're called to be productive as well as just be with God. And actually learning some of the rhythms of that is the key, one of the keys to being fruitful. And learning when it's the time to rest, when it's time to allow God to reshape your life, when you need to get out and start to do things and take on new challenges, new initiatives, new things, and to serve God by using your gifts. So in conclusion, how is the Father glorified in this passage? The Father is glorified by the fruit in our lives. How do we bear fruit? By being in the vine. Who is the vine? Jesus is the true vine. It all comes back to him and comes down to him. So this morning, my challenge to you is this, is what do we think genuinely of Jesus Christ? What's your relationship to Jesus Christ this morning? We're called to be in a personal relationship with Jesus, to see his life flowing in and through us. It's not about yesterday, it's not about last decade, last month, last year, today, today. Are you going to respond to him? Are you going to offer your life up to him afresh to allow the very life of the vine to flow through into our branches? I pray this morning that we have the grace to respond, to be found by him, to know him, to surrender our lives to him afresh. And whatever the picture of your life this morning, your life may be absolutely amazing this morning. You may think I'm completely flourishing, or actually may be dreadful. You may be going through a dreadful season of life where it's just chaos. Whether you feel an outsider or you feel ill-equipped, whose hands is your life in this morning? Is it in your own? Or is it in God's? And as we offer ourselves to him, we're going to do prayer in a minute, and then we're going to share at the Lord's table. So we'll use that as an opportunity to respond to his call 
to know and to spend time with him, to give our whole lives to him in surrender. The most effective thing you may need to do for your marriage, for your family, for your work, for, my, for this church, for my vicaring, is actually to recognize the whole of your life. Frailty, giftedness, the whole lot needs to be in his hands. It's his life working through our whole lives as our saviour and our rescuer. And before we seek to try and conquer the world, do all those great initiatives, we need to make sure our lives are rested in him, in his love, his power to live for him. Let's pray.